Welcome to the Play Notes Podcast, where we give you the inside scoop on the main stage productions at Portland Stage. I'm Maura O'Sullivan. And I'm Nick Hone. And we are heading down to the fictional third smallest town in Texas, Tuna. We're going to take a look at our current production of A Tuna Christmas by Joe Sears, Jackson Williams, and Ed Howard. And I will be interviewing director Julia Gibson, who I have been lucky enough to assist on this production. So buckle up. Buckle up, cow friends. Mara! Yeah? You're the assistant director for Tuna during the rehearsals. Tell me about the play. Yes. Okay. So I know too much about this play at this point because I have been (laughs) living in the world of Tuna, Texas in the rehearsals. So Tuna Christmas is part of a series of four plays that all take place in the fictional third smallest town in Texas named Tuna. Nice. And they were originally written back in the 1980s. Justin Williams, Joe Sears, and Ed Howard were the masterminds of this whole world. And they wrote the Tuna plays in response to the rise of the Moral Majority, which was a political organization founded in 1979 by Jerry Falwell Sr., which was associated with the Christian right and the Republican Party. Mm, Okay. So this was their way to fight back. And they did it through satire and parody. So they're funny and they're goofy, but they are also rooted in these deeper political and social issues Mm -hmm. that were really taking over the nation at the time. And even though that was happening in the 80s when they were written, it's remarkably relevant now. Yeah. I feel like there's been a bit of a resurgence of that sort of using morality as a cover for Mm -hmm. hatred. And these plays do a fairly good job of pointing out that it can be it can be really silly. Yeah, yeah. I think it it takes some really heavy, serious subjects Mm -hmm. and finds a way to to laugh through that pain and that cringe. Yeah, it's very attuned to Saturday Night Live or The Daily Show or Mm -hmm. any of the late night talk shows that poke fun at the current politics Mm -hmm. and so many terrible things that are happening and find a way to point out the hypocrisy in it. Yeah. And, you know, throw in a little bit of Christmas and you've got a show. (laughs) A couple of Christmas trees, some decorations. And, you know, politics. (laughs) Small town racists. Do you want to give us a little scoop on the actual story of Tuna? Yeah, absolutely. So in this show, we return to Tuna, as you said, the third smallest town in Texas, on Christmas Eve. Radio hosts Thurston Wheelis and Arliss Struvy. Love those names. Love it. Give us the inside scoop on the highly competitive annual lawn display competition, which has, in the history of the play, continually been sabotaged by the mysterious Christmas Phantom. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) As we hop around town visiting a variety of characters getting ready for the holiday, we see that, like the people themselves, Christmas is not perfect. Bertha, one of the characters, can't seem to get her teenage children, and her cheating husband, for that matter, together to celebrate. Dee Dee's used weapon shop is alarmingly busy for the time of year. Joe Bob's community theater production of A Christmas Carol might be doomed. And the tasty cream forgot to thaw the hamburger meat before the lunch rush. Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) For Tuna, this is shaping up to be a doozy of a holiday. (laughs) It sure is. 
Now, if you were part of our audience back in 2012, you might remember Greater Tuna, Mm -hmm. which we produced full 10 years ago, which is the prequel to A Tuna Christmas. And we have Tom Ford, who is one of the original actors from that production. Mm -hmm. And Julia Gibson, our director, directed that one as well. So if you saw that, you'll know exactly where you're being dropped back into. If you did not see that, like I did not, you will easily be able to just hop into this play. Mm-hmm. It's it's very accessible in that way. Oh, yeah. There's a surprisingly low amount of callbacks. I noticed when I was reading through that I felt like I was completely knowledgeable about the town. They do a really good job of onboarding you into this. What is, for the writers, an existing universe, but for someone reading it, our audiences, it'll be a new experience and it'll be great. Yes, and I mean, truly, like, the most amazing part of this show is watching two actors play 22 roles. Yeah, man. I don't know how they're doing it. It's truly a marathon of a show, and they are running on and off stage, throwing on new costumes, (laughs) throwing on a new voice, and walking a different way for 11 roles each, and it is a tour de force. Yeah, it's an extraordinary acting challenge. So that alone is worth cost of admission. Yeah. So we hope you like it. We hope you can appreciate the humor and the satire of it all. Mm -hmm. Some of it's going to feel very relevant and very close to home, even though it's a period piece. And I think that's why it's so interesting now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to break up your usual lineup of Christmas shows, Christmas movies. Yeah. Portland Stage has a long tradition of doing a couple of different classic Christmas shows, and I think that this is a good addition to the lineup. It really is a raucous good time. I think the posters say a hootin' and hollerin' good time. And it really it really helps you take the the danger out of these like dangerous people and reveals the absurdity beneath and the hypocrisy and helps you realize that you can take their power away by laughing at them. I know that we have talked about this, Mora, and I think it bears repeating for our audience that, to an extent, satire, as Tuna Christmas is, is inherently incendiary, as it seeks to explore often divisive topics and push the boundaries of acceptability in order to make a statement in an attention-grabbing and entertaining way. Sophia McLennan, professor of international affairs at Penn State, said, Robust satire is often a sign of crisis, and the ability to share and consume it is the sign of a free society. We see satire emerge when political discourse is in crisis, and when it becomes important to use satirical comedy to put political pressure on misinformation, folly, and the abuse of power. That being said, the public reception to these works has varied wildly over time, and with our collective barometer for what is going too far shifting depending on what the larger context of what is going on in the world. Right. So I think there are some topics within this, you know, wild comedy. Mm -hmm. There are some topics that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And there are certain things that make me sit up in my seat and go, oh, no, because it hits a little close to home. Mm Mm-hmm. And our hope is that there's a, a chance for our audiences to take the power away from the people who really do believe these things mm-hmm. and really do abuse their power and laugh at them and mock them and find some catharsis within that. Yeah. Let's get into it. We've got Julia Gibson, our director, mm-hmm. and she's going to let us in on the behind the scenes. 
Got family coming to town? It's not too late to get in on the fun at Portland Stage this season with our Flex Pass subscription. Looking to catch the rest of the season, but you don't want to commit to the same date every run? Sold in four to six ticket packs, a Flex Pass can be used for admission to each of our remaining four shows, or can be used all on one show or mix and match to your heart's content. Visit portlandstage.org slash subscriptions to get your Flex Pass today. A perfect gift for every holiday. That's portlandstage.org slash subscriptions, or click the link in our show notes. All right, here I am with Julia Gibson, the director of Tuna Christmas. And we're gonna we're gonna get the inside scoop on the process. <laughs> we are about a week and a half into rehearsal. Yep. We have finally at least created some bit of a picture of every scene in the whole thing. Mm. How do you feel? I feel good. I, I think we're we're further along at this point than I expected we'd be. There's a a lot, and these actors are ready, and they we get pretty far each day. How has it been returning to Tuna ten years after directing Greater Tuna here back in 2012? I was here at Portland Stage just last year directing Searching for Mr. Moon. I always really enjoy being here. The company and staff are all really uh, kind and accessible and really, really good at what they do. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be back. As for returning to the Tuna series, yeah, we did Greater Tuna 10 years ago, and Tom Ford was in it, and he's in Christmas now. 10 years is a long time. It's sort of amazing both how much I remember about <laughs> that production and how much I've completely forgotten. But this year, revisiting it 10 years later, as I said, we have Tom Ford and then we have an actor that was not in the other one. It's really all about the two of them. And so they each play 11 characters. I think it's safe to say that the character of Bertha is at the center of certainly this play and perhaps even greater tuna 10 years ago. So having Tom come back and be that centerpiece, there is something that feels solid and familiar about it. And yet Nathaniel is this brand new spirit into the world of this play. So it's both reminiscent and brand new. The world around us has changed a lot in 10 years. So it'll be interesting to see how the audience responds if they if it feels different with the audience than it did 10 years ago. We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> yeah, so it is set at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It has Christmas in the title, but it is not a typical Christmas show. Mm -hmm. How does satire set this one apart? I'll answer that sort of differently than the way you asked it. I mean, I think I think part of what you're getting at is that the traditional Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas mm -hmm. Carol, those are the first two that come to my mind. I think we expect Christmas shows to be warm and fuzzy and maybe sentimental and feel good, feel good, yeah. holiday feel good shows, right? Mm -hmm. But both of those two, A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life, are pretty dark. I think that's the, actually the same with this play in a different way. It being a satire, it is very silly, very ridiculous. And yet I think there is something warm and fuzzy about laughing <laughs> and laughing in community with other people, which of course is what live theater is all about. So... Laughing in community brings us joy, and I think at the heart of this play is heart. The heart of it is heart. And hope, in the same way that the other plays that you, that, that you think of when you think of traditional holiday plays, 
are um, attuned to Christmas as well, there's an expectation of one's life and the expectation of Christmas itself or the holiday times themselves um, versus reality. And that it's, there's a lot of disappointment and heartbreak in there. And the, when the expectation loosens up a little, that's when the hope shines through. That's definitely present in A Tune of Christmas. So with that being said, what are you hoping the audience will take away from this show? Is it that hope and heart? Is it another message? I think it is the hope and the heart. I also do think there's something in the laughter of, of like, I hope the audience takes away a reminder to have a sense of humor, <laughs> to not take it. Right, we're in a very serious time right now, and, and it's hard to find a sense of humor sometimes, And but I, I think it's important. Yeah, at the risk of repeat, I don't want to repeat what I just said, but I think it's the heart and the hope and that the and the humanity, humanity at the center of even the most ridiculous of us. <laughs> Gotta be able to laugh. <laughs> yeah, please, yes. So you mentioned these two incredible actors. Mm -hmm. We have Tom Ford. We have Nathaniel Claridad. You've worked with both of them before. They are playing 22 roles within yes. this show. How do you help them build each unique character and, and find who all of those different people are? Yeah. I mean, that is at the core of how to work on this play, isn't it? Both of them, to start with, they're both extraordinary actors. And so that makes my job so much easier. Yes. They brought so much to the room day one. I was so impressed. Right. And every day, right? Every day they bring in yes. something new. Every day they take huge steps forward in understanding the play for themselves and in being creative with ideas. They, fortunately, because they didn't know each other before, but they seem to have a great chemistry. They they have great chemistry with one another, respect for one another. They're finding things together. They both work very differently, as you've probably noticed, mm -hmm. that Nathaniel wants to feel the character in his body first. He wants to experiment with a voice and with how he walks and how he sits. And, and right now, the wonderful costume shop here has let him have... Hit. There's tons of pairs of shoes <laughs> up in the rehearsal room, and he's changing them from character to character. And, and whereas Tom Ford starts with a kernel of something inside... And, and lets that grow. He starts with either what is that, what's at the core of this human being? What, what are they struggling with? Or what, what are yeah. their demons? Or what, what are their hopes? And he starts there. So my job, I have to let them both come at it from those two different directions and then just respond to what they bring in. Because what I'm, what I'm focused on is the whole story. And each specific story within the whole story. So what I'm responding to is, does this character help us tell this story? Or do we need to nudge the character in a slightly different direction? And sometimes it's about, let's make sure these characters are, let's find what's different from this character and that character. So a lot of my job is responding to them. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see the collaboration. And I have noticed some some actors start externally some internally, and then figuring out how those work together. I think I've seen you really building the relationships between the characters, mm -hmm. which is what I think is so interesting about this world of Tuna, is that all the characters in this tiny town are connected. 
and they all have different dynamics within the town and within each other. And, and so that's been really cool to see. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. I think that's true that, I mean, really in any play, if you were to, if you were to describe yourself as a character, you'd have to choose, oh, what story am I telling? Because you could describe yourself a lot of different ways. Right. Right. And so it becomes about Oh, how is the character in relationship to this other character? What are, and, and you start figuring out what's the part of the character that needs to come forward to tell this story or to be in relationship to this other human. Yeah. Those dynamics are really exciting to watch develop. And it's really cool to see Tom and Nathaniel find them with each mm-hmm. other and you can see that discovery happening. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes. I mean, you you remember sometimes in the room with Nathaniel, it's about well, maybe sit this way, maybe cross your legs this way, like some s- really simple thing. Yeah. Tiny little adjustment and it'll change the character for him. But I don't think I've ever talked to Tom about that, the physicality in that way. With him, it's more the spirit of, of what's driving this character because they're, they're different actors. But I don't know that the audience will be able to see that because they're finding how to be in the same world with each other. It's just, this is just, the difference is just where they start and how they get there. They'll both get to the same location, same destination, but they both are on their own little path Mm -hmm, there. mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you grew up near Texas. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How has that influenced your perspective on the piece or how you've approached it? Maine is arguably pretty far away. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I grew up in Oklahoma, which is not Texas, and Oklahoma and Texas (laughs) are big rival have big rivals with one rivalries with one another, but but it is the same part of the world, and there is a lot that's very familiar to me. I mean, I go back to, I still have family in Oklahoma. I go back all the time. But it's hard for me to answer that, except that many of these characters are familiar to me, as as crazy as that may sound, because they're they're larger than life. Almost every character is slightly larger than life, and, and yet they're not, I've seen real people just as large. They're real. And I have met, dealt with, and am related to several of the characters that, you know, or similar to. Mm -hmm. So it's not a completely unfamiliar world to me at all. Yeah, they're exaggerated characters, but they are rooted in that reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So within the political and cultural satire of the piece, obviously, it is a comedy poking fun at some serious issues. Mm Mm-hmm. There are these moments of real human connection. Is there a moment in particular that you feel goes beyond the joke and shows us something genuine? There are actually quite a few moments that I think go beyond the joke. Um, do you have a favorite? I do have some favorites. Like, oh, I'm, I'm pausing because I don't want to give anything away, but. <laughs> I think there's a beautiful scene in which Petey, who is the character in the town who collects all the stray animals, and each scene that we see him in, he has a new bandage or <laughs> crutch or something because the, all these animals are biting him or whatever, but he loves the animals and he, he takes care of them all. But he has a beautiful scene when she's out looking for the Christmas star and Oh, you yourself in rehearsal the other day commented on the the similarities of what he's talking about and our what we know of as the Christmas story. But he talks about wishing on the star that 
he says, peace on earth, goodwill to everybody. So that's definitely yeah. one of my very favorite moments. And, and He's very pure. Yes. And he reminds us out of all this craziness and all of the things that inherently go wrong at the holidays, like the true meaning of it. It's really R- That's beautiful. right. That's right. He takes this moment to bring his, his sheep and his coyote and his iguana <laughs> out to, to look for this star and to, and to talk about his hope for peace on earth for everybody. And there, and there are other moments that I don't really want to give away where what a character thinks is possible for their future shifts mm-hmm. because of some unexpected moment that comes from some other person, I think, in every example of some other person gifting them either by the moment or by an actual gift of, of here's something else that might be possible for you. And those moments are, are very beautiful to me. I agree. No spoilers, but I know exactly yeah. what she's talking about. <laughs> You'll just have to see yourself. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting Tuna with me. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's It's been fun to work on and fun to have you collaborate with me and with us. Great. Make sure you get those tickets. hope you enjoyed this edition of Play Notes. As always, you can find a print version of the articles you've heard here on our website, portlandstage.org slash playnotes. Tickets for A Tuna Christmas are on sale now, so contact our box office by calling 207-774-0465 or buy them directly through our website. The show runs from November 30th to December 24th. And if you like the podcast, why don't you subscribe and leave us a review? Thanks for hanging out with us and join us next time as we dig deeper into the world of the play and discuss the political and social issues it satirizes. See you later, cow friends. This edition's articles were written by Audrey Erickson, Nick Hone, Maura O'Sullivan, and Rachel Rapella, and this episode was produced by Maura O'Sullivan and Nick Hone.